Thank you very much, Pastor. <laughs> Either very popular or very free. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. Uh, yeah, it's always a privilege to bring uh, the Word of God to the people of God and to those who are here seeking God uh, wherever you are in your journey. And I know our, our topic today is about uh, it's been a, a month, right, about family, so spouses turning to each other. But for those of you who are not married, uh, I assure you that God would have something to say to you as well this morning. Okay, so uh, the people handling the slides for me, please pay attention because <laughs> I can't click it myself, you know, yeah. Um, so this morning we want to talk about uh, turning, our, our, you know, turning towards our spouses. The fact that we need to have a topic called turning towards our spouses is quite telling, isn't it? I mean, don't people get married because they are crazy in love with one another? They can't get enough of each other. And then after they get married, they have more than enough of each other. <laughs> what is going on there, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on, of course. And probably in, my, in one sermon, I can't do justice to all the dynamics that goes on. But the Word of God has a very important truth to tell us that undergirds everything else that you will learn in psychology or counselling or therapy. And it begins with the backstory. It begins with how everything began. So this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, where we will look at how everything began and it will give us an understanding of how we got to where we are today. Why there is a need for us to intentionally turn to one another because instinctively, many times it's easier to turn away. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I want to thank the worship team for a very wonderful selection of songs this morning to help us to draw near to God as He is near to us and reminding us of this beginning. You know, and the record of Genesis then goes on to say, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Wow. This is called the uttered will of God. You know, God said, let there be something, and then there was something. I think we wish we all have this power. Huh? Let there be PSLE. High score and there's PSLI score <laughs> for our children. But you know what's very interesting is as over the years as I've meditated on this passage, I see something fascinating. You know, when, when God was creating light, when God was creating the seas, when God was creating the trees, when God was creating the animals, it was always let there be something, something happened, and day and night one day. But then suddenly the whole account slows down. Turn with me to chapter 1 and we reach verse 26. All this time when God was creating everything else, He says, let there be. He knows what He wants. He says that it happens. But then God, as if, as it were, takes a slow pause a little bit and He starts to confer within Himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let him rule over the, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There came a moment in the entire creation account where God 
became even more deliberate. And God said, everything that I have made, I want to create a being who can bear my image, who can carry a wee bit of the, of the glory of God. Because he's going to be a creative being, he's going to be a powerful being, he's going to be an innovative being, he's going to be a being that can bring life as well. And I'm going to put that being over all the rest of creation. And I want to start with this backstory. Do you know why? Because one of the main reasons why today we turn away from each other more than we turn towards each other is because we have forgotten our origin story. We think that our lives are a result of our parents. We think that our lives are a result of our genes or our training or our trauma. Those things matter. Yes, they shape your life. But the most important thing that must shape your life is the deep truth of God. That you and I are here because God wants you here. God created you. And even if in your own decision, maybe at the time, you don't know God, you got married, you were too young, you got married out of lust, whatever, all the wrong things and wrong choices you have made, God is still watching over your life. And the creation account tells us how much this is true. Because when it came to creating men and women, God didn't just say, let there be men. God starts to get personally very involved. It says that God, if you go to verse um, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. The Lord God formed the man. He didn't just say it. He did something about it. He took the dust from the ground and he formed the man. And then he breathed his breath into the nostrils and that being came alive. It is a very personal, very intimate, very intentional process, very invested process. I want you to know that God is real and intimate and invested in you. This is your origin story. And he may have used your parents, your church, your work, whatever, as all of it as instruments in his glorious plan to shape you. But never lose sight, my dear brothers, that God formed you because God loves you. And it's his intention that you are here and that you are in your marriage or your family, whatever ranking it is. God sees all those details because God is a God of details. And then we move over to the women. It gets even better, right? Because the story says that then God gave the man a job. Okay, so work already existed before the curse, right? God gave the man a job. God created all of creation. And after he made the man, he actually made this beautiful, lush garden specifically for the man. And he said, I want you to look after this garden. This is your job. So all of our first jobs is actually being a gardening, <laughs> so to speak, horticulture. Okay, how many of you are plant lovers? I have green fingers. Oh, pastor, pray harder. <laughs> mm, that's why. That's why flower a bit small. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, the, the, the poopy will be creeping with things. Um, but anyway, so, so you know, and, and it's very interesting, God created the garden and, and then God 
uh, decided to <clears throat> bring all the animals to the man, ask him to name the man. And then there was a very interesting concluding statement in, in Genesis chapter 2 where God says, well, you know, Adam looked at all the animals and said, well, this one looks very funny, let's call him an aardvark or whatever, you know, and went through the whole process. And, you know, as Adam was going through the process, something was gnawing at him. Okay? He remembers the task that God has given him. And then God says this, okay? God says it's not good for the man to be alone. The task is too big for him. So my friends, our origin story tells us that men and women are not originally meant to compete. We are meant to work together, to complement, to support, to be collaborators and partners in whatever God has assigned for us to do. But the story begins to break down, unfortunately. <clears throat> in the garden, something happened. Something happened that would become the inheritance of entire humankind. And that is, along came the serpent, and for some reason, which in my theory is called the reason of going for your strength, going for the jugular, he approaches the woman because, as all the women in this room will testify, we love to improve things. Correct? And the men are like, I mean, then you don't want to go to that restaurant anymore. You want, you want to try another restaurant? What's wrong with the last one, you know? And the men just want to go to the same restaurant and eat the same food. That's my husband, right? But the wife says, no, I think there's a new restaurant. We should go and try it out. <laughs> it's not universal, but generally true. So my theory is Satan didn't approach the man, not because he's scared of the man, but it was to him a little easier to get at the woman because his suggestion was, don't you think you could improve things a bit? If you eat that fruit, you know everything. That's great for improvement, right? Besides, I mean, you know, let's second guess what God has said. And all the women in this room, we understand. Satan does that to us all the time. He uses the same tactic. He suggests to us, something is missing. Something is missing in your husband, you know. He's not praying enough, okay. He always does that to us. So women, once we know this origin story, we can wise up as well. To the devil's tactic. As Paul says, we are not unaware of his wiles, right? So anyway, the woman decides to listen, okay, disobeys God, and then the man decides to listen and disobeys God. And as a result of that, catastrophic things happen. That is our inheritance from this first garden. Four things I want to talk about, if it's on the slide for us, would be helpful. The first is there is a massive misalignment that happens. The man and the woman were created to be in joyful dependence on God for all of their needs. They are to trust God and enjoy sweet fellowship with Him and enjoy good relationships with one another, but that is broken. Because by their disobedience, they are saying, actually, God, just maybe, just maybe I might know better. Just in case you are a bit busy and you forgot that maybe, you know, uh, there's this option. Can I just go and try it? We still do that today, don't we? Don't we do that? We still do that today. We just like, uh, well, maybe God very busy, you know, uh, whatever. And this open door, maybe I just go and, and we don't pause enough, long enough to seek God. So there's this misalignment in our relationship with God and there's this misalignment, the relationship between the man and the woman and that misalignment continues to, do, to this day in what is now known as the gender wars, right? 
women think that if we can be do everything that men can do, we will be equal. And that is a lie. Okay? Because we are already equal. If you know your origin story, you know you are already equal. There is no need to fight the guys. But then men are at the same time like very threatened. Why are the women always trying to do what we do, you know? You know, before robots came to steal our jobs, the women already came to get them. <laughs> so it's like there is this misalignment and because of it, there is this mistrust that has built up in our almost our genetic makeup. Many of us grew up with uh, our parents, you know, especially the older generation. Uh, and sometimes we look at their marriages and it's very discouraging. It's very discouraging because sometimes there's very little warmth, you know. And, and you can see this gender war playing out uh, very much. And it continues to play out even in our life. And then there's this alienation. Alienation is simply like, it's very hard to get close. It's very hard to get close. So I, I, I sometimes think that the whole burst of romantic love, huh, that God allows humanity to experience. And if you don't believe me, uh, you go and check all the popular songs written in the world forever. The majority of popular songs are love songs. Either Longing for Love, la, or Allah Taylor Swift broke up with somebody. La, or you know, that kind of thing. It's always, I was telling you, having this conversation with my daughter when she was a teenager, and say, why are all these songs about love? Because God created us. So that burst of romantic love is for God to remind us you were created in love and you were made for love. But, but, now love is so difficult. It's so painful. You feel more alienation than trust, than intimacy. And then there is this power struggle as a result. You know, I do more, you do less. You know, uh, yesterday, how the last three years, I remember my anniversary, our anniversary, you never remember. You know, and there's all sorts of power struggle. You know, I earn more money, you earn less money. All sorts of things. And sometimes the power struggles is just in the everyday things. Okay? The everyday things of, I know better. Okay, I care for the children more than you do. And all this is our inheritance as because of the sin of our first parents in the garden. And you know, when we live in a world that has inherited this, the world can only talk about this. This is why, my dear friends, when you turn on your Yahoo or your Facebook or whatever, you may get glimmers of light, but most of the time you will get lies and half-truths. It's very important for us who follow Jesus Christ to be aware of this. To be aware of this. Even as a pastor, I am not inoculated against this. I can read a novel and my mind can be led astray. That is how real it is. So we have to be very wise that this is the state of the world. And if we don't want to be lulled into a state of deception, then we have to be alert and keep remembering the Word of God properly and well. But God knew from that first garden what He was going to do. He gave a promise. I want you to go back and read Genesis chapter 1 and 3 sometime today, okay? Slowly, maybe as a family for devotion or something. But God already planned from that first garden that there will be another garden. That's right. That is the garden where plenty of olive trees grew. It's the garden 
in the, in the night that Jesus went to, where he was praying so intensely that the capillaries of his skin burst and blood came through the surface of his skin because the battle was so great. The battle of misalignment, mistrust, alienation and power struggle that Jesus took upon himself for all of us. And in that garden, the devil came and the devil said the same thing again. And it's not even the first time the devil has done that. But in the garden, that warfare came to a pinpoint intensity. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Before that, Jesus said, if it be okay, Father, let this cup pass from me. Now, we can all identify with that, right? When we are having struggles in our life with our spouses, we say, let this cup pass from me. (laughs) But you know, the more powerful... So that honest admission of struggle is important. Jesus has given us permission to be honest before God. But then Jesus says the thing that changes and breaks and introduces a new storyline for all of us. He says, not my will, but yours. Be done. He gave himself completely back to God in joyful dependence and he says, I don't know how I'm going to go through this. I know it's going to be very painful and very hard. It's going to cost me everything, but I am going to obey you, Abba Father. And he goes through, he goes through that kangaroo court, he goes through that unjust trial, he goes through all that pain, all that mockery, he goes through the cross for you and I to introduce a new story into our world and to bring us back to our origin that says, listen, God created you intimately paying attention to the details He is forming in your lives. And Jesus comes and He gives us another garden. A garden where now, if we would meet Him in that garden, not just once when we say the sinner's prayer, but regularly, as a habit, by coming to church, by being in a small group, in our own personal time of devotion, in the various ways we grow ourselves spiritually, we go back to that place and we say, not my will, but yours be done. Then things begin to happen in our life. We have the gift of a new inheritance. Can I have that slide, please? From misalignment, we can become aligned with God. We can experience joyful dependence on God. You know, friends, life is very tough to do on your own. You don't have what it takes. You won't have enough wisdom. You won't have enough courage. You won't have enough hope outside of God. You can still make it through life. But the life that you really, really were created for, the life that you really, really want, will be out of reach. It doesn't matter whether you're poor or you're rich. But the life that you really want, the life that God created you to have, is beyond you outside of God. You have to find that life by daily joyful dependence on God. You get to get back to that, those habits. That is alignment. 
I have so many stories to tell from my life about this experience of alignment. I can tell you, friends, that God really knows who you are. Better than yourself. Better than your spouse. And in that knowledge, He gives you in your marriage to each other and He knows in His wisdom that you can bring that out of each other, even if it kills you. (laughs) And you have to die many times in that process to the parts of you that are actually not life-giving anyway, even if you think otherwise. And then God moves us from mistrust to trust. I know in marriage there are many, many opportunities to develop mistrust because promises get broken, things get forgotten. Maybe you know how you treat my parents. It's not how I treat your parents. Maybe you make a major decision and it, it affects the whole family And then we realize it was a really dumb and selfish decision. These things happen. These things happen in marriage. But when Jesus Christ trusted in God, He gives us a new capacity to trust in God. And our trust in God is the basis on which we can trust each other. I can tell you that your spouse will not ever be perfect. You know, I still remember I met Philip when I was in final year in Bible college. I had already uh, received a call to become a pastor. And I was thinking to myself, probably nobody want to be a, marry a pastor, you know. I mean, which guy want to marry a pastor, right? So I was very prepared to stay single. And I was, all, I was graduating year. And then, you know, Philip arrived on the scene. And in his own words, he was besotted by me. So <laughs> then things happened. <laughs> Uh, those of you who know him, know it's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, but you know, it's been 26 years this year and we have had many opportunities, even as we try to serve God, where sometimes we struggle to trust the decisions we are making as we seek God. And you know, two people can be very different. We are both pastors and we're still extremely different in personality, even in the way we pray. In the, sometimes in the way we look at scriptures, you know. But you can, you can be misled to thinking that those differences is the final story. It is not. The greater story is the one that God is writing, always. And God is always writing a good story. Where He invites us to trust Him first. And because we can trust Him, we can trust He is at work in our marriage, And even if it takes much longer than we would like, he is definitely at work. And our trust in God grows, our trust in our partner grows as well. And instead of alienation, there can be intimacy. You know, a a marriage goes through seasons as well. I was having this conversation with my husband, and honestly, there were some times where we were so uh, angry with each other, we were so fed up with each other, we thought, you know, actually maybe we'll just be happier we didn't have each other in our lives. I mean, we have such honest conversations, okay? And, and I think at one level, we might actually be happier because it's always hard to have somebody in your life that you don't agree with, right? But then we say, then why, why would God insist? Right? Because we are pastors, we have to counsel people, so we have to figure this out. So. Then why would God insist? Does God want us to be miserable together? Why would God insist that people stay together? So we pull back and we say, you know, I think maybe God knows something we don't know. Could it be that God knows something we don't know? 
Absolutely. And you know what we've discovered? We've discovered that God knows how things actually work. We don't. God knows how powerful forgiveness is. God knows how important stability is. God knows how much we need second chances in our lives. If you read any counselling or psychology material, you will know that we don't change easily as human beings. And if you get out of a troubled spot, whether it's your marriage or work or whatever, and you haven't changed, you basically bring all the troubles with you to the next thing. That's why the statistics is people who are divorced tend to get divorced again. God knows that it's safer for you to be in a familiar environment and work it through. It takes time. It takes surrender. It takes a lot of humbling down, humbling of yourself. It takes a lot of submission to pull away from the power struggle and to look to God to be the greater power in your home and in your marriage, in your relationship. Is it easy, all this joyful trusting of God, giving God time, working at the second chances, forgiving and all that? Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But it's not impossible. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. Because Christ has demonstrated it can be done. And because Christ has given us, who give our lives to Him, a power greater than ourselves. I was telling the congregation earlier that there were certain seasons I just had to pray nearly throughout the day. It was like every little thing was getting on my nerve. And if I didn't want my nerves to become the king of my life, but God to remain the king of my life, I'd got to keep turning to God moment by moment. There was a period of time I was just I just kept praying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a very humbling prayer. But I recognized, I recognized my part. I recognized my brokenness. But I also recognized that my brokenness is not the real story. The bigger and more important story is God's fullness, God's forgiveness, God's grace available for me. And every single time, my friend, when you turn to God in prayer, you may not immediately feel a woof, rushing wind come in. But the Spirit of God is doing something in you and in your circumstances. Give it time. Every time you turn to God, the Spirit of God comes and does something in you and in your circumstances. I feel this morning God really wants me to encourage both the men and the women in our midst. That the men, brothers, don't listen to the lies of the world. The world puts you in a very small box and says success looks like this. But God has his own definition of success for your life. God has his own picture of fruitfulness for your life. If you turn to God and depend on him, he will lead you to it. He does not delight in his children being impoverished. No, he put us in a wonderful garden Every need is met. That is how it began. And God wants to restore our lives to that. So men, I know you hear again and again you're meant to lead your household, you know, you're meant to rise up. And over the years, as I pray for my marriage, I begin to have empathy for my husband, how hard that can be. Uh. 
sometimes. So I want to extend that empathy to you and I want to say that we, we know, I know, I think your wives and definitely God knows. That is not easy. It's not easy to rise up and be the spiritual leader. But you know what? You can. You can. You don't have to do it the way Pastor Lee does it. You don't have to do it the way your cell leader does it. But you have your own way of doing it. Ask God to show you. If you are willing, God will show you and guide you and empower you to do it. We have had many discussions over the years or so about, you know, what is leadership? Again, the world is very limited in its vision and the idea of a leader is always someone strong and loud, you know. But there are many, many men who are married to very strong women who can talk faster than them and sometimes think faster than them. Do those men not lead? No, they must still lead. But they have to find a way to lead. Do you know that gentleness is a form of leadership? It's extremely powerful. I love that line we sang in the hymn just now. Gentleness that sows the path of peace. So in the same way, sisters, we need to also shed our very limited, worldly informed views of spiritual leadership. We have to let our guys off the hook a little bit. We give them a chance to lead according to their personality, according to their temperament, according to their maturity. And then we must come and support them. I am a very strong woman, married to a very strong man. So the two of us sometimes have a lot of power struggle, okay? Because we are both very strong, very opinionated, very strong on our convictions. But you cannot live life fighting. You've got to live life figuring out how to walk that path of peace. But my encouragement is that's the path Jesus has made open for us. The path to God and the path with one another. Regain your confidence as a follower of Christ and as a child of God. That you can be who God called you and created you to be. No matter how old you are, it's never too late. Go to God for that confidence. Now, the reason why, while it's not impossible, it's, it's also hard, very hard, is because Jesus tells us that the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. Can you read this scripture with me from Matthew 19? 1, 2, 3. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning... It has not been this way. God points us, Jesus points us to remember what things are like from the beginning. Remember the will of God from the beginning because God doesn't change His will. God doesn't go like, oh, 21st century is so difficult. Okay, let me adjust and add in some bylaws. No. <laughs> God's will stays. Okay, It's for us who have lost our way and God seduced by the ways of the world to come back to our senses and say, this is the way of God. This is the will of God. And the issue is our heart. There is this thing called the hardness of heart, which in the book of Hebrews talks about the sinfulness of the self-deception, the hardness of heart. You know, earlier I want to encourage us to rise up and be all we are in Christ, especially for our marriages. But the thing you need to watch for is the hardness of of heart. It is easy to harden your heart. It is so easy 
it is easy to have heartbreak and turn to addictions. It's actually not very difficult. You just have to start doing it a few times and then you can get addicted. It is easy to have heartbreak and turn to distractions. It's not difficult. It's getting increasingly easy. Last time in, my, in our parents' day, they are very socially shy, right? They will not do anything out of the order, you know. I remember having this conversation with my mom. They were like, ah, no lah, meet another man. Because that time I was not a very good Christian. Huh? So we were suggesting to my mom, I, uh, daddy treat you like that, why don't you just go and find another man? You know, That kind of horrible advice we were giving our mom. Uh, repent, repent. <laughs> thankfully my mom, if she's not a Christian, I'm the Christian, I tell you. That's the shocking part of it. But thankfully my mom came to Christ. And my goodness, uh, she turned around and she discipled me. Um, but I was very young, I was very young, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know, but the hardness of heart is very easy and it grows day by day. So that's why earlier I mentioned that it's this moment by moment thing. You know, this morning Philip sent me here and I just live in Bishan. So the ride is like three minutes. And in that three minutes, the man manages to get me angry. Isn't that quite a feat? <laughs> Super, he, he's perfected the art. Because <laughs> he's a perfectionist. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, okay. But you see, it is about my heart. It is about my heart. Of course, I was a little bit miffed. Got out of the car like that, angry, angry. But you know, as I worship God, I knew, I knew, I knew that it's about my heart. And I already resolved before I came out to preach at the first service that when I'm done with my sermon, I will go down and I'll text my husband and turn my heart to him. Because this turning away becomes habitual. No? If you keep doing it, your heart will get stuck. So you literally have to work against it. But you see, small turns like that are so much easier. So much easier. If you do it regularly, it becomes easier and easier. More habitual turn of heart. And Jesus says, if you don't have this hardness of heart, you won't get to the point where things become so hopeless. Let's look at what happens when we habitually turn towards our spouse. When we turn first to God in joyful dependence and ask Him to help us to turn towards our spouse, we begin to be, we begin to find it easier to forgive. Small things as well as big things. You know why? Whenever you turn to God in joyful obedience, obedience and dependence, you recognize, you recognize how, how, how prone to sin you yourself are. You know, just by thinking about all the ways you are planning your escape, right? Or all the ways you are trying to get back your spouse or whatever, you know? All the ways you are trying to, or you are punish yourself, whatever. You realize that, wow, it's so easy. It's so easy for me, Lord, to take a step away from you and take matters into my own hands. It's really so easy. And when you are in a space where you are honest with God, and you're willing to repent of your sin, you'll find it easier to forgive others. Along with that, you'll find it easier to overlook offences. How many of you have spouses who are offending you nearly every day with their habits? Like, I told you, don't know how many times. Okay, it doesn't, it comes to a point where no need to tell because it just wouldn't change. <laughs> Some things, you know, human beings, we realise, are not so, we don't change so easily, okay? And there's a ton of reasons for that, but another time. Also, you will learn to be a lot less calculative. Right? I remember when we first got married, we had this amazing plan that I came up with, of course. 
as a woman who must improve things. I said, you know, we should plan our honeymoon every year. We should take turns. I plan the first one, you plan the second one, you know. That in my mind, like every year we must outdo each other and get better and better, lah. Obviously, right? But by the fourth year, uh, Philip ran out of steam. It was too much work for him. <laughs> it's like then things started to fizzle out, you know. And I was like, I was very upset. I'm like, okay, you know, I was prepared to plan all the rest of our life. At least that's what I think, huh? Yeah. And it's so easy, you know, to be calculative. Like, wow, ten ten thousand ways every in so many ways. But you know, as you turn towards God and He tenderizes you, you can turn towards your spouse and okay lah. Math is not the science for marriage. Art is <laughs> math is not the science for marriage. And then you also begin to realize you are more willing to admit and learn. My friends, if you get married, huh? At the end of five years, ten years of your marriage, the thing you want to be able to say is not, I've been married for ten years and I didn't change a bit. If you say that, you have failed, okay? (laughs) The thing you are to say is, I've been married for two years and I've grown so much. So those of you who are single, okay, and praying for a spouse, start to pray for yourself to be a person who is willing to grow. Not change into another person, character or personality, but be willing to grow. And pray for a spouse who is willing to grow along with you. That is super important. And as a result of this, we also grow in a new inheritance we have that Jesus died to give to us. We will grow in our inheritance. There's so much that Jesus gave us as a result of his sacrifice. He restores our relationship with God. He, he, undo, he undoes the tragic story of the fall. And even though it's not completely restored on this side of heaven, it begins to happen. It begins to happen that we are able to hear God. We are able to turn to one another. We are able to forgive. We are able to be agents of healing and reconciliation and restoration in our world. We are able to be salt and light. This is the great power of the good news of the kingdom. You will grow in your inheritance of this truth. It's not just truth to understand. It's truth to experience and to live out. You know, it's truth to experience and to live out. You can pray for people and they can be healed. You can have wisdom to know what to say to your boss. You may even have influence to change the direction of your company. You can have counsel for God, from God to know how to raise your child according to his bent, not according to the educational system. This is our inheritance and so much more. When our hearts are turned towards our spouses also, we begin to create stability. Stability. I still remember... Uh, when my daughter was in primary school, you know, one day she came back from school. She was kind of sad. I said, what's up, Ru? And she said, no, my friend in school is very sad. Then I said, why is your friend very sad? See, she told me her parents are getting divorced. She was in primary school. It's the first time she has heard of divorce. Okay. So she asked me, mom, what's divorce? You know, and over the years after that, both my children have come back and shared with us how they have noticed their friends, you know, become depressed stop performing in school, withdraw from their friends, 
because of family issues. When I think about the mental wellness crisis that is visiting a lot of young people today, and based on the reading and research I've done, I know that a lot of it boils down to the lack of stability. A stability that is not just routine. Every Sunday we go dinner, every Sunday we go church. It's more than that. It's a stability where the relationships are growing. It's a stability where young people, especially children, they feel that somebody is listening to them. You know why? Children from toddler all the way to adulthood are still figuring out about life. And although they will look to the internet for answers, the cry of the human heart made in the image of God is to find answers in God and in community. So Gen Zs, if you are here today, I know that you are very comfortable online. But we also want to ask you to please be honest and step out of your room once in a while and turn to your parents and say, actually, I'd like to discuss this with you. Give your parents, so I know this is not a parenting talk, but it's important. Give your parents a chance. And in that, in that crucible of listening to each other, taking time, there is a different type of stability that happens. There is not just the routine, administrative stability. And that stability is deeper and more important. And it creates roots for everybody's lives. And then, because you keep turning to God and to each other, you begin to model faith and growth for your children. It's not always a straight line. I know my children went through a time where they had many questions about the faith, and we encouraged them to ask questions. They had many questions about uh, the church's stand on certain issues, like LGBTQ and I and all that. And, and you know, again, we encouraged them, okay, ask your questions, go through your struggle. In some ways, my son is still going through some struggles, but they have a picture of what it means to have faith. They have a picture of what it means to have questions, what it means to grow through it. So when we turn our hearts towards our spouses, we can model that for our children. You know, children are not dumb. They, know, they want life to be like La La Land, but they also know life is hard. And they are looking for people who show them that there's such a thing called grit. There's such a thing called hanging on, pushing through, patiently working, day by day, sowing into something and bearing the fruit afterwards. The children know. You know, both my kids have come to thank us for the family life that we have given. And my son, he's uh, 17 going on 18. You know, he comes to me and says, thank you so much for all the love that dad and you have given me to make my life possible. It was very moving for me to hear that, of course. Yeah. And you know, as, as we do that, as a result, we also begin to live an inheritance for our children. And the inheritance that we have as children of God comes all the way from the Garden of Eden, through the cross, through the sanctuaries with the church, the people who brought you to Christ, your cell group people, your pastors. It's a large, rich inheritance and it continues to flow. It flows into our marriage, flows into our children, and that continues to flow outwards. And one day it gathers as a joyful stream in the city of Zion. That is God's will for us. To live into the person God has made us to be and to be courageous as men to arise and lead in the way we know best and keep growing in it as women to arise and to be a fellow warrior in life with our men and keep growing to do that. 
keep turning our hearts in joyful dependence on God, turning our hearts towards each other, and then experiencing this inheritance we have in Christ, creating stability, modeling faith and growth, and being able to leave a legacy for the generations to come. Can I invite you right now to spend a few moments to talk to God about your own life and your marriage. If you are married, talk about your marriage. If your spouse is here, you might want to hold hands and pray together. But start by praying for yourself. Maybe, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but I want to encourage you this morning just to say to God, Lord, I want to learn to live in joyful dependence on you. If you don't know what that looks like, just say, God, I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm willing to discover it for my life. I'm willing, God, to live the way you created me to live. God knows all your struggles and all your problems. He is intimately acquainted with all your ways, as the psalmist says. And then would you please pray for your spouse, for your marriage, and just say, Lord, you've made me a husband, and you've asked me to lead, to provide, to protect, to sacrifice. I'm really bad at doing all these things, but I want to commit myself to do it. Would you please work in my life and guide me and show me all the second chances you have been giving me and help me to lay hold of them and not let them slip out of my hands again. The same for the women, for the wives. You know, you have to pray, Lord, you've called me to express my glory as your daughter by being a warrior, a partner, with a submissive posture. I have never known how to do that. I was not raised to do that. But I believe Christ in me can tutor me and help me and lead me to do that. And I'm willing, I'm willing to have this posture in my life. The children who are here, take a moment to pray for your parents' marriage. Marriage is not easy, but it is a gift of God. It is a design of God. Pray for them. Pray that they can have more patience. They can learn to depend on God. They can learn to see the gifts and the grace of God in their marriage. And they can stop listening to the half-truths and the lies all around them, but listen to the Word of God more for their lives. Let me pray. Father, we want to give you thanks. We are so blessed to be able to sit in your presence, listen to your word, and listen to your voice speaking to us. Lord, I pray that your truth will continue to ring out from the depths of our being. For yours is a voice crying out in the wilderness, calling your people always to come back Come back, come back.
to how I made you. Come back to who you are. Come back home to your heavenly Father. Come rest in my shade. Find rest for your souls. Come be renewed for the journey ahead. I know all that you have been through and I know all that lies ahead. You are not meant to journey by yourself. You are meant to journey in joyful dependence on me. I can't wait to show you what I can do in your life. How I can turn your heart and soften it and turn it back into a heart of flesh. And I can't wait, the Father says, to show you all the good gifts I have in store for you. To open your eyes to see that your spouse is one of the most prized gifts I have entrusted to you. I can't wait to watch how you turn your hearts towards one another as you continue to turn your heart to me and to trust me. And stop taking matters into your own hands. Stop running ahead of me. Slow down and trust in me, your creator, your saviour and lord, your king, your master, your heavenly father. Lord, we thank you for hearing all of our sincere prayers and answering them. For Christ's sake. Amen. I want to end by reading a poem to you from May Saturn. I thought of happiness, how it is woven out of the silence in the empty house each day, and how it is not sudden and it is not given, but, but it's creation itself, like the growth of a tree. No one has seen it happen, but inside the bark, another circle is growing in the expanding ring. No one has heard the root go deeper in the dark, but the tree is lifted by this inward work, and its plumes shine and its leaves are glittering. So happiness is woven out of the peace of ours and strikes its roots deep in the house alone. The old chest in the corner, cool wax floors, white curtains softly and continually blown as the free air moves quietly about the room. A shelf of books, a table and a whitewashed wall. These are the dear familiar gods of home, and here the work of faith can best be done. The growing tree is green and musical. For what is happiness but growth in peace? The timeless sense of time, when furniture has stood a lifespan in a single place, and as the air moves, so the old dreams stir. The shining leaves of present happiness? No one has heard thought or listened to a mind, but where people have lived in inwardness, the air is charged with blessing and does bless. Windows look out on the mountains and the walls are kind. God bless you.